Welcome to the Metamorphosis with Michelle podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Kessel. I'm an integrative health practitioner and certified brain rewiring coach. And on this podcast, I'm going to be diving deep into all things personal growth and development, brain rewiring, health and wellness, and spirituality. Hello, hello, happy Tuesday. Hope you had a good weekend. So today's episode is so good. Like, I think this is something that everyone wants to understand on such a deep level. Relationships, love, attachment styles. It's a good one. Highly recommend giving this information some time to sink in because there is so much valuable stuff here. But before you get into all of that juiciness, I do want to share a quick announcement that my signature group coaching program, Free from Emotional Eating, is opening up for enrollment next week on Monday, May 24th. So that's in a week. What you can do right now is get on the waitlist. And if you're on the waitlist, you get a pre-party bonus offer that you won't want to miss. This is a signature program for high-achieving women who are struggling with emotional eating. This is for you if you are eating clean and you're still struggling with secretly coping with food when your emotions get the best of you and you're ready to finally learn how to tackle this so you can feel good in your body once and for all. Another exciting thing is I'm going to be having a master class on five ways to overcome emotional eating next Wednesday. So the link for that will be in the show notes as well. So get on the waitlist for the program. Start with the master class so you can implement some tips and tricks. And let's get you healed and feeling confident so you can go out there and have the dream life that you deserve. All that information will be in the show notes. And now let's get into this awesome conversation with Amber. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Metamorphosis with Michelle podcast. I'm super excited about this week's guest. Today on the show, I have Amber Salvador, who is a doctor of psychology and a relationships expert. So I'm going to go ahead and let Amber introduce herself and tell us what she does and what she's all about. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. It's uh, always an honor. And yeah, gosh, my journey is one that has led me to not only being a psychologist, but someone that is so passionate about relationships, probably because of um, looking around when I was young and seeing a lot of conflict and um just dysfunction in family relationships that I grew up in. And I think when you are in that kind of environment, research shows that kids will either, you know, they'll recognize that it's a problem or they will just think that this is the way things are. And I definitely was one of those kids that said, there, there's gotta be a better way here. And so that kind of dove me into being super interested in psychology and understanding um, behavioral science and why we do the things that we do. Do you find that fascinating? Like why we as human beings do the things that we do? Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. It's like the most <laughs> fascinating thing because I mean, I think this was on Oprah and what you just said kind of reminded me of it. There was like two sisters and it was like one they both grew up in a dysfunctional household and one mm-hmm. became super into like philanthropics and charities and the mm-hmm. other one 
decided to go the other route and was like into drugs and addiction. So it's like, yeah, if you're in the same environment, what makes people different? Yeah. Yeah. That is such an important question. I was an only child actually, but you know, it's such an important question because I think obviously there's nature and nurture, right? There's our genetics. There's what we're predisposed to. And then there's the choices we make throughout our life. And for me, the reason I took this path was I saw a lot of what I didn't want. And I don't know, you know, for your viewers listening and for you, I've learned a lot in life by what I don't want and seeing things that I didn't think worked well. And so I think to your point, you know, that the child that goes off and does philanthropic things and creates a different story for themselves and the child that can get lost down a path of drugs. It has so much to do with like recognizing our programming, our unconscious programming and how that, if, if we don't become aware of it, we will just live it out and live out the wounds that were passed down from us, from our parents, from our grandparents. Cause you know, generational trauma is a thing it gets passed down to us. So Um, For me, I've been very dedicated in my life to recognizing and awakening to what are the patterns that have been passed down to me. And I I call it cycle breaking. That's a big part of what I do is how will I choose to show up differently in my relationships with my family, with my friends, with coworkers, with my partner, right? Had a lot of experience with that. (laughs) So how do I get to show up differently? And that's a lot of inner healing work, um, but it's been so, so worth it. So that's what's led me to where I am today. Awesome. I love that. And what made you specifically want to focus on relationships? So if I'm being really honest with you, it was watching my parents' marriage Mm -hmm. and watching that they loved each other, but they genuinely lacked some really important skill sets in knowing how to work together as a team, knowing how to communicate, knowing how to manage their emotions, knowing how to be conscious of what they were choosing. And then, you know, our parents and our grandparents, our ancestors passed down their patterns to us. And so I started seeing that showing up in the men that I chose, that I was choosing men that could be really chaotic or could be um, really loving, but ultimately unavailable in some ways. And so I kept seeing this repeating in my life. And I, and I was like, well, I'm this loving person. I have so much that I want to create. Why does this keep happening? And that's where I really had to dive into, is there something going on within me that keeps attracting in these kinds of experiences. And that is a very humbling thing to ask yourself. Um, But, you know, the research shows that, you know, we attract essentially what we are parts of us. So if you keep attracting a partner and it keeps ending in similar ways, right? The common denominator is there's something within us and that's not to shame us. So that was really what happened for me was I noticed where I came from and how it was playing out in my romantic relationships. And I wanted it to stop. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So many people get caught up in the victim mindset. Like, why does this Mm -hmm. happen to me? This happened again, instead of being like, look, it's my world and I'm the one in it. So I can change it. Yeah. And the big thing, Michelle, with that, that's so powerful that you just said that victim consciousness, because first of all, that word in and of itself does not feel good. Mm-hmm. No one wants to, to feel, no one wants to feel like they're in their victim, right? Nobody wants to talk about that because the truth is a lot of people have been victimized. They have been wounded. Like all of us on some level have been deeply wounded by someone somewhere, So that's why I think relationships are so important to me because they're the foundation of everything that we do. And yet there's so much where people have been hurt in these foundational parts of life. And so, you know, being in your, in that victim part of you is really just saying, I I'm still in that wound and I haven't healed that wound yet. And I'm still making choices from that wounded place. And it takes a lot of courage to actually look at that. You know, cause we don't, we don't realize it 
Um, so that's a big part of what I do and what I did with myself. I had to have a big wake up call. I had this eight and a half year relationship long ago and I realized how it started was how it ended. It started with this person being unfaithful, but I, I did the, I did the thing that we do sometimes, right. Where it's like, yeah, I love him. And I, you know, he's so great in so many other areas. He can change. <laughs> he can change. And, you know, he was showing me all the ways that he could change. And so I believed it and I wanted it, but the problem was I never fully trusted him, you know? And that was also what led to the ending of our relationship in part was me not trusting, me not believing him also being unfaithful again. And so I say that to say that had I listened to a wiser part of myself, the first time he showed me where he was at, had I listened you know, they call that your intuition. Mm -hmm. right? Talk a lot about that here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. If I had listened maybe to that and just really sat with myself and really like spent time with me and what is best for me, I might've made a different choice, but I didn't. And so I, I had to learn that lesson. And that's yeah. a big part of what I help people do is how do you learn from the choices that you make in relationships? <laughs> Right. Because that's all we can do is learn from them. Essentially. Yeah. Do you find that most of the people that work with you are people that are like in a relationship that are struggling or that are single and looking to get into one? It's both. I work with a lot of couples. I work with a lot of families actually. So it's not just romantic relationships. It's healing family relationships that have been estranged or just really high conflict or, you know, just not the way they want them to be. Um, and I work with single people as well who are noticing patterns in their life, keep attracting similar partners and wanting to do the work around bringing in something different into their yeah. life. So I, and I really do love all of it. I think all yeah. of it's really important. Totally. So do you usually kind of get started with looking at like attachment styles or where does that play into this whole relationship mm -hmm. dynamic? Yeah. So do you guys talk a lot about attachment styles here or does it hasn't been brought up yet? So if yeah. you want to give an explanation, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So attachments, one of those things, a lot of people know some things about it. Attachment is really has to do with your relationship and connection to your parents or your caregiver whoever you were raised by and there's different types of attachment styles. And it's basically the quality of connection between you and your caregiver. So some children have secure attachments where they trust that their parents going to be there. They trust that they can rely on their parent to meet their needs, physical, emotional, mental. And so what that allows in a child is more autonomy. They get to go. The classic example is, They'll go to the playground and this is the child that can go play on the playground and they'll look back and they'll see that mom and dad is there, but they'll continue to play and explore. And then there's uh, anxious or insecure attachment styles. And there's several different types of um, insecure attachment styles, essentially. And these are ones where the child does not trust or believe that the parent will consistently be there to meet their physical or emotional needs. So some children might exhibit behaviors in the more anxious category, such as clingingness, or they, they don't want to explore. So this is the child that won't go to the playground and play unless their parent is right there with them. So they need the parent to hold their hand. Or there's more avoidance styles where the kid might go and they don't even look back. They don't even look back at their parent. And how that translates is those little kids grow up into adults. And we as adults, we uh, reenact or play out those attachment styles in, in our love relationships. So if we are someone who has an insecure attachment style and it, we're anxious, we might go and look for someone unconsciously that looks a lot like our parent. So if mm -hmm. our parent wasn't as available to us, we might go and seek a partner that's not as available to us, either physically, emotionally, et cetera, not because we desire that, but because that's like a blueprint it's in our system. 
So how I work with people is I help them to understand what that blueprint is and what are the beliefs that they have, the deeper core beliefs and deeper conditional beliefs. This is all psychological terminology, but it's looking at what do they actually believe about themselves and other people and how available partners are and kind of how do you show up in a relationship, right? Do you show up with expectation and trust or are you guarded and withdrawn? Do you give a lot in the beginning? Do you not give enough? So it's like looking at all the ways that you show up in relationships and how it could be unknowingly recreating these patterns that you had with your parents. Yeah. So it's pretty wild. It really is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I've heard mixed things where some people will say, you know, the goal is to get people to secure. And some people will say the goal is to work with your attachment style. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious, what do you think? So I've done a lot of this work with others and with myself, right? Mm -hmm. And what I have found is when you do deeper emotional healing work, you will be able to have and find more security within yourself. So that's number one is feeling safe and secure within yourself. But then when you have a potential partner, they're going to trigger up things that when you're by yourself, aren't going to be triggered up. So I think ideally for, for anyone that has an insecure attachment style, research shows that if they attract in a partner with a secure attachment style, they'll be fine because the, the security of that other person does not trigger up their insecurity. If that makes sense, Mm -hmm. not, not even close to as much, but if you have two insecure attachment styles that come together, they're going to trigger each other more. So that's where the work is to be done. So in an ideal world, we would completely heal ourselves and then we would be secure ourselves and we can go out into the world and find another secure mate. Um, That's a process and it's individual to everybody. So I would say the idea is to, as much as you can seek out a secure partner and there's ways to look for that, but seek out a secure partner so that all these deeper parts are less likely to be triggered. Doesn't mean they won't be, but less likely. So a really good example, Michelle, is if you have a fear of being left or Mm -hmm. cheated on or abandoned, let's say, if you attract in a partner who has a history of cheating, right, you're going to put yourself in a relationship that's going to bring up a lot of your insecurities. Versus if you attract in a partner that doesn't have that history, it's going to settle that fear. And the idea is that can be reparative, that can be healing. So a lot of it is kind of finding out in some ways your partner's history. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that makes sense. That makes sense. So what it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like women tend to be more of the anxious and men tend to be more of the avoidant. Is that just like my sense of things or do you find that to be true? Um, I don't know the exact research on that. I I would say that is what I've experienced and observed in my work. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, But I've met both the other way. Right. I would just say on average, I've seen more women with the anxious type and more men with the avoidant type. And it can also be a lot with how we're wired and trained in as in growing up. Yeah. So, you know, men get a whole different level of programming about their emotions and how to deal with their emotions than females do you know, we are allowed on some level to be more expressive and, and be more in touch and to share. Whereas historically men have been told that is shameful on some level. Boys don't cry, keep that, you know? So just by that boys have learned to operate differently in their emotions, which can make them appear and be more avoidant. When research shows boys are just as emotional as little girls. Mm-hmm just as emotional. It's just that they get trained out of having access to those feelings, which is such a disservice that we've done to our males in society. Big, big disservice. Yeah, absolutely. So what are kind of 
the first steps that you would tell someone who wants to get towards secure? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's really about being with uncomfortable emotions and triggers without running from them. So it's becoming, you know, in mindfulness practice, the art of observing oneself non-judgmentally. It's this practice of being very conscious and aware of what's happening. So let's say you're single, for example, and you're in the dating world or you're thinking about being in the dating world, right? And you notice that you get triggered by some experience that of rejection. Like there's, there's something you've told yourself where you feel that you're being rejected, right? What we often do is we feel that we, we have whatever we have happened. We feel that. And then we immediately go to something right where we will call a friend or we'll be uncomfortable and we won't sit with that feeling. We'll get angry. We'll try to discharge it. We'll try to project it onto something. We'll shut our computer and be like, this is why I don't online date. Right. We have some sort of experience and what it's really about is just being with and noticing like, what is it that's coming up for me? What am I telling? What is the story I'm telling myself? Where am I feeling this in my body? And it's like a loving parent where you be with that feeling without trying to change it. Mm -hmm. It's like you have compassion for that part of you that feels wounded, hurt, rejected, abandoned. And why that's so important is because whatever is coming up, that's part of your story. And realizing, you know, if we're, if we're going to go pretty psychological with this, realizing that that experience, we created a story around that experience and we told ourselves that means this. Mm -hmm. He's not responding because he doesn't like me. See, people don't like me. I'm never going to have someone commitment to me. And we go down this road. And so it's like witnessing that story and being there for that part of you that feels wounded, that feels rejected and loving on her. That's more inner child work. Right. Right. I know you're familiar with that. So it's being with that, loving on that. And that's the first step. So it's like you do that over and over where you witness your own suffering, where you witness your own pain and you start to recognize the story that keeps coming up. And then over time, it's not just about being with and loving. It's starting to dismantle the story that that is the story that you told that it means I'm unlovable or people don't want to commit to me at a high level or whatever. But then it's getting distance from that story even and saying, is it possible that there's something else going on here? That this is the story I created, but what else could possibly be going on here? You know, I know in dating, a lot of times like rejection is pr protection mm -hmm. that like, you don't want to waste your time with someone who isn't going to be available in the long run. So if they show you that right up front, great. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it hurts, it hurts, but less wasted time, right? Yeah. So it's digging back into kind of a faith and a knowing of like, as, as you're working on yourself and being loving to that part of you, you can distance yourself further from the story that it's even about you. Yeah, that reframe has helped me. And like, I feel like so many other women mm -hmm. so much is like, when you're rejected or ghosted or whatever mm -hmm. the word is, it's mm -hmm. kind of being like, wait, I'm awesome. This has something to do with me. Someone better is coming and not taking it personally. Mm -hmm. Like that's the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think the step process is, is like, notice that you did take it personally though. Like yeah. notice that you did be compassionate to the part of you that did take it personally. Cause mm -hmm. we don't want to bypass that that's bypassing avoidance, whatever you want to call it, denial. And we're never going to be able to be with that part of ourselves that feels wounded. If we immediately go to, it's fine. It wasn't about me. Right. Right. Be with that part of you that felt it love on that part of you and then shift into, okay. And you know, this, 
this truly in the big picture isn't about me. This is about how this person operates. And if, and, and they're showing me about them. Yeah. This is such, this is really, point. yes, because this is where so many people miss it is they focus on what it means about like them, me, like, oh, it must mean I'm not good enough. And I'll, I'll be like, what does it say about them though? What they chose to do right there. Is that the quality that you want? If someone ghosts you or doesn't communicate, is that what you want in a partner? Because when you look at it from that angle, it's like, no, I actually don't want that. Yeah, seriously. I think that was like a big wake up call for me because one of my like big core needs is communication. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not getting communicated with and I'm like upset over it, like, yes, I understand I'm upset and I take care of that. But then I have to like zone out and be like, wait, communication's important to me. So I shouldn't be that upset. (laughs) Yeah. They're showing you how they communicate. So in old styles of dating, it might be like, oh, let's try to do something cute to get them to communicate with us, right? But it's like, well, sure, there's always strategies for dating, right? Always, there's always that. And there's better things to do and not so good things to do. But if that's how they're showing up in the beginning, pay attention to that. Yeah. That's that's just data. Yeah. That's just information of like, okay, they wait like four days to communicate with me and then they communicate and it's very little or it's not exciting or whatever it is. It's like, okay, good to know. Mm -hmm. It's all just information, but it's when we personalize it, that's the stuff to pay attention to because that's our stuff. That's not about them. That's our stuff. And then we get to be with that. And the idea is the more you're lovingly with that, the more you distance yourself from the story, then you have more internal power, more security, shall we call it, mm-hmm. so that then you're going to start attracting in someone who is a match for you. The more you say no to what you don't want, it opens up for what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So are you, is there like a psychological or a scientific way to describe that? Cause to me, I see it in like the spirituality terms of like vibration and like attracts like, but I'm curious mm-hmm. if there's a psychological reason for that. Um, are you talking about when we start to heal ourselves and what we're attracting? Right. Well, so there is this concept called the Imago, which is where it's that imprint I told mm-hmm. you about, that we have this psychological imprint of our parents, our relationship with our parents. And so we will seek out, there's lots of ways that you have like chemistry with people and that you connect with people. And what a lot of people don't realize, but they, they will after time is that you attract partners sometimes based on your wounding. Yeah. Trauma bonding. Yes. That's <laughs> usually the hot and heavy ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know like trauma bonding heavy, is big. <laughs> yeah. If it's hot and heavy right out the gate, it's like hot and heavy to start quick to burn out usually. So, um, the more you work on that imago and that imprint and, and like healing your relationship to that then it changes, it shifts that imprint to some degree. So now what used to be exciting to you, the bad boy, the unpredictability, the chaos. I used to love that. Right, well, I think, gosh, I think a lot of people do. Um, It becomes less exciting, but it's almost like, you know, it's like if that's your blueprint, your imago, and that's what you go to, it's like you have to, get burned a few times and shift that and work on yourself. And then finally, like you see that coming a mile away, it's no longer appealing. You might still be attracted to it, but it's not, you're like, actually, I'm going to stay away from that. (laughs) Yeah. No. So, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm aware of. Oh, that's really cool too. Mm -hmm. hear a different side of it because it's like the same outcome, but explain in a different way. Cause I think mm-hmm. some people get confused or don't fully grasp like the vibrational residence mm-hmm. aspect of things. Yeah. Well, and how I explain it to my clients is just this languaging of you have a blueprint, like think about 
and I know everybody has a different caregiver situation, but if you have like a mother and a father, let's say how you relate to men has a lot to do with how you connected with your father, mm-hmm. how you relate to women, etc. If you didn't have a father around, if he died or was absent, that is a relationship. So not having that person is going to impact how you then connect with men in the future, right? So thinking about that is imprinted in us, that imago, that, that relationship coding. And then we send out little electric signals when we feel that somebody matches that coding. So that's what's so challenging about it. If you had, a, if you had wonderful parents, great. Like no big deal. But if you had, you know, if you had challenging relationships, which most of us had at some point, it's just being aware of that and then shifting, doing the internal work around it. So that's why it's, that's why it's tough. Yeah, totally. So how can you tell if someone is a trauma bond or just chemistry or is chemistry mean it's a trauma bond? Yeah. (laughs) Um, no, I don't think chemistry means it's a trauma bond. Um, trauma bond is, I think these are the patterns that I've seen in a trauma bond is it's, it's very, it can be very hot and heavy. It accelerates very quickly. There's a lot of connecting about the past pain, about exes, about the trauma, you might have met in a crisis. You might have met in a really low point in your life. I have a client who she met her husband at a very low point in her life. And he basically helped her get out of it. But the problem is they have this father daughter dynamic. And so they can't, they're having trouble getting out of that dynamic where she was really in survival mode, not very conscious, just kind of getting by and he was taking care of her. And so now that they're years past that and that she's good, she still operates as if she's in survival mode. Mm -hmm. So recognizing uh, the function of the relationship, is there a caregiving component? Is someone overly caring for the other person? Is it reenacting an old wound with a parent? Is there abandonment? Is there infidelity? Is there lying, right? Are you just, it's called an enactment when we're just reenacting something from our past trauma bond, right? Mm -hmm. Chemistry is that feeling that you get that everybody loves, right? And chemistry comes from a lot of different things. It could be interest. You could just have mutual interest, obviously attraction. Um, There is that piece of when you are wounded and I am wounded in a similar way, even if it looks different, we could have chemistry, right? That chemistry could turn into a trauma bond depending on how, how skillful you are, how skillful I am. So it's, it's watching that it's watching the, how you're both showing up in the dynamics versus a healthy relationship. I think there's a slower, there's a slower build to it. Mm-hmm. And it's not only slower, but you're taking your time. There's no rush. I think that's the thing is if you're trying to rush into relationship, it's in large part because you're done with or uncomfortable with being on your own, right? Maybe you've been on your own for a while and then you feel this amazing cocktail chemistry. And so you don't want to be on your own anymore. So we rush, but when we rush, we give parts of ourselves without really knowing who we're giving to. So slower is always better when we're building a foundation, because I think what's really underrated, but super important is becoming friends. Yeah. Like we're actually being friends and eventually best friends because sex is going to come and go in relationships over time, but like a solid friendship and like having each other's back and building trust that and like mutual, whether it's like, you know, incorporating God into your relationship values, you know, what things really matter to you. You can't figure that out all in a couple nights. Right. So I think slow is better and waiting to have sex, you know, cause when you start having sex, you are now 
um, mixing all these hormones and these chemicals that are being released, the serotonin, mm -hmm. the oxytocin, the dopamine. And so there could be red flags coming up. And when you're having sex, you don't see them or you ignore yeah. them because you're already bonding or bonded to this person emotionally, physically, et cetera. So letting it be slower, building, getting to know this person and both respecting that, like being okay with that. A man or a woman who doesn't respect you taking time in that way, that just means they're trying to rush the process. And that's something within them that needs to be sorted. Yeah. Right. But it's just a different way of being. It's so different to go from being um, highly open to being very sexual early on, but then looking at that pattern in your life and saying, has that worked out? Right. You know, versus waiting and really like letting someone know you and you know them before you introduce that next level of it. So yeah, lots, lots to consider. <laughs> yeah. Such good points. Mm -hmm. So I know you're big on, you know, like self-love and getting to know mm -hmm. yourself before yeah. partnerships. Where do you kind of start? Cause I think like self-love is such a buzz word. Totally. Totally. And self-love again is not just, I think we have this misconception that self-love is about self-pleasure, which it can, mm -hmm. you know, like massages and getting our nails done and taking ourselves out on dates. Totally. That's self-care though, right? That's just like self-care and self-care does not always reflect how we feel about ourselves. I know people that are very attractive and doing lots of self-care and they're doing it all because deep down they don't feel worthy right? or deep down they don't feel that they're enough. So there's a big difference between self-care and self-love. Self-love is, can I be with the darkest parts of myself and, and not judge them? Can I have compassion? Can I be open to looking at my blind spots? Can I be open to learning about myself? Can I be open to resting when my pattern is to go, 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 and to produce and to work myself, right? Can I let myself cry and not judge myself about that? Even if I felt judged by a critical parent or whatever the programming is, right? You know, can I make a mistake and not think that I'm this ridiculously horrible person, but I can learn from it instead? I think self-love shows up in all these little moments where we get a chance to witness ourselves and be with ourselves and have compassion and also to be real, this isn't like sugar coating, like everything you do is great and it's fine. It's like, let's be real when we're repeatedly doing something that's hurting ourselves. Cause that's love mm -hmm. is like, Hey, yo, we talked about drinking, <laughs> you know, I know drinking's fun, but if I'm going out and drinking and drinking every weekend, and I have this sense that that my body doesn't want that self-love is to listen to that, yeah. right? Like listening to our body, listening to what feels right. Not just going along with the crowd, but listening to ourselves. That is like the biggest piece of what loving ourselves actually looks like. And then like following through on that. Yeah. I think that's where most people hit the roadblock is they'll be really aware of mm -hmm. what their problems are and being like, I know I do this, but how can I change it? That's like where most people I find are stuck. Yeah. I, and I find when people are stuck, like that word is I've, I've been stuck. We've all been stuck. Yeah. But one thing I find to be true about being stuck, there's, there's different variations, but usually people know what they need to do. They know they just don't want to do it. Yeah. Because they don't like what it would require of them. So for example, let's say, you know, you're in a relationship that you need to leave. That's a classic example. Every part of your intuition is telling you, but then you'll have these, you know, it's Saturday night again, it's Friday night. You don't want to be alone. So you go into your rational mind of like, well, you start making all these excuses. One of my clients calls it miss excuses. 
<laughs> and it's like, sure, here's Miss Excuses again, right? And and then sure enough, something even more devastating happens or even more frustrating happens. And it just keeps reminding you of the truth, but it's actually acting on that truth. And so it's, it's like recognizing, like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do the thing I know I need to do. What is it costing me to keep avoiding the thing that I know I need to do? How much am I going to let it take from me? How much time, how much energy versus getting the support sometimes because it really is sometimes it's not just you know like even with your clients right it's like they might know that they emotionally eat they might know that they need to stop they might have all the physical impact of it but they need the support to actually overcome it Mm -hmm. knowing is is a third of the battle (laughs) oh totally you know it's like great to know it's wonderful to know but then it's like, how do you get the courage to do? And sometimes, honestly, whether it's weight loss, fitness, um, healing, emotional wounds, trauma, it's a lot of times it's support. Yeah. hundred percent. It's just like, I, I'm not doing it on my own. And I'll just ask my clients, like, how long have you known what you've needed to do, but you haven't done it. And it'll be like years, you know, it could be some, and then some people genuinely don't know. And so that's where, okay, let's discover, but also let's go to what you actually want and is what you're doing, getting you closer or further away from what you actually want. Right. You know, so sucks an interesting thing. Cause I think on a deep level, a lot of us know the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's like where people get caught up is they're like, I know all these things that I want to change. Mm-hmm. And then they just get stuck in like that awareness spot Mm -hmm. and they focus on the awareness and it's almost like how to describe it but they're just almost like caught up in that story of like this is the fault this is the fault this is the fault Mm -hmm. yeah so that's where unfortunately sometimes people have to have things Oprah talks about this too of life will first just knock a little bit Mm -hmm. and be like hey something needs to change And then it'll start like pounding. And then sometimes it slaps you in the face and then life takes a two by four and hits you over the head. And some of us are two by four people. I've been there. I have been there in my life where it's like, oh, it took a two by four for me to be like, wow, I never want to experience that again. And it takes that. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes people don't need to get the two by four. Um, but sometimes you do. (laughs) So in my ideal world, none of us would need the two by four. Uh, But yeah, it's just a matter of uh, how are you going to finally learn? Yeah, absolutely. Is there a common pattern of sort that you see with your clients that they need to work through? In terms of what relationships or stuckness or... Um, I would say the biggest thing that I see is just the reenactment of that unconscious relating that, that reenactment of relating that they had with their parents, then acting that out either in their single life or with a partner. Mm -hmm. And so a big part of what I do in couples work is I help them to recognize how their unconscious patterns are being reenacted in their marriage or in their relationship. And it then becomes about working collaboratively to showing up differently. So you have a support system there and it's about non-judgment. I mean, if you look at it, we can highly empathize with anyone's story about why they do what they do. It often makes sense. I mean, at one point, what you did really worked. That's why you learn to do it that way, right? And it just, there's a a point where it doesn't work anymore. And so it's really about a lot of non-judgment in that. Um, And I would say a lot of it, if we get really specific, is not trusting themselves, not listening. I would say it's not listening to self. Mm -hmm. Um, Not having a voice, like an authentic voice. A lot of either don't speak up or they speak up 
and they've just had it at that point. And then it turns into an argument, a fight, you know, and then they're just aggressive. And I think there's this, you know, it's assertiveness, this middle path of honoring yourself, honoring the other person, being able to have your own voice, whether it's to family members and setting boundaries and saying no, whether it's like to a partner, to a friend, whoever it is. It's just, I work a lot with people on like listening to themselves and owning what is true for them and breaking these patterns of people pleasing, right? People pleasing is a huge one. Yeah. I see that with my clients too. (laughs) uh Yeah. And being passive and yeah, or just waiting too long and becoming aggressive and being controlling. And so a lot of letting go and surrender, things like this. A lot of spiritual concepts too. I'm very psychological and spiritual. Yeah, so. I think it's important to blend the two. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's when you're kind of in one camp, it's almost like you're restricting all the other information yeah. that is so beneficial. Totally. Totally. Yeah. You need, you need both. Cause sometimes the only answer is to surrender it and say, I can't, I can't carry this. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm choosing to let go of the tight grip I have on this and I'm going to trust that it's going to work out if I remove myself or if I feel like I don't need to control it as much. Cause the controlling is what gets us in trouble. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of knowing that you're being divinely guided Mm -hmm. if that's what you believe Mm -hmm. it's like such a relief being like okay it's okay that this didn't work out because something better is going to happen now totally yeah yeah and knowing that knowing so many of the lessons I've personally learned have been to step back to to rest more actually to listen to my body to rest because my programming of doing, doing, doing over the years and achievement was all about worthiness. Right. Me too. Right. And so much, so much of us in America have that conditioning. Right. And so it's just like, for me, I couldn't compute if I step back, how is more going to get done? You know, and that has totally been evidenced in my life. I used to work at a hospital for almost a decade. And the environment of a hospital and the acuity is very high. And so you're in fight or flight all the time. You're working so much. And so to step back from that and to have my own business and actually work less and make more money, I didn't even realize that was possible, that I could do less and have more. Um, But it is because that old way of doing things is burning people out. Yeah. It's not working making them especially women (laughs) right because we're in our masculine which is a whole nother thing right yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so good it seems like you have also embodied that as well yeah I mean definitely something I'm still working on but Mm -hmm. oh man Mm -hmm. a huge shift I used to be full in my masculine and now I'm definitely more in a leaning towards my feminine way, but mm-hmm. there's always a little bit more to lean into. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that. It's so interesting. Like even in relationships, bringing that back to relationships. Um, if I'm talking about heterosexual relationships, mm-hmm. uh, women, you know, in their feminine and men in their masculine is more of the way it's meant to be because women you know, and, and, and the flow that goes with a woman being in her feminine and being able to be more timeless and nurturing versus goal oriented, driven, go, go, go. I notice in our society, Alison Armstrong talks about this, which I'd highly recommend her for anyone that wants to learn more about masculine feminine, that our society doesn't value the feminine. It's starting to right? We're having sort of this. Oh yeah. There's like a rise right now. (laughs) Yes. There's a movement happening, but because the feminine hasn't been valued, we have all these women who are shifting into their masculine and have been. And so we have all these masculine women with masculine men or masculine women with masculine women, et cetera. 
And that doesn't create a healthy balance. We need, we need that homeostasis. We need that polarity to create chemistry, to create that rapport. So I know you know about this. Um, It's just interesting. I think it makes our women sick too. Yeah. Our nervous systems aren't Mm -hmm. built to work so much. Like we literally have different builds in our biology. A hundred percent. So we attracting in a partner for me, I'll just disclose in the past, I was so in my masculine, I would attract in a lot of men who would take on the more traditional feminine roles with me. They would cook, they would clean. I even had a guy in the past who's like, I'll just stay at home, you know, with the kids. And I was totally fine with that. Yeah. You know, and then years went by and I realized this doesn't work. I don't actually want to be the boss all the time. I was just doing that because I thought I had to. So attracting in a man who's in his masculine and can provide, I'm still have my own business. I'm still doing my thing, but I can relax way more into my feminine. And that's how a woman knows she's safe. Yeah, that's a big thing I wanted to ask. So I feel like so many women are in their masculine all day at work and then mm-hmm. in their relationships mm-hmm. be, and they still carry that control because they mm-hmm. don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. So how can a woman feel safe to get into her feminine outside of the workplace? Mm-hmm. I think a big piece of it is, do you feel ultimately safe with your partner? If, if, if we're talking about partnered relationships right now, Do you feel safe with them? Do you trust them that they got it? If you don't, there could be, I'd ask you why. Like, is there evidence in your partner that they don't show up, that they don't, they're not reliable, they're not consistent. And so if that's there, we have to own in part that we attracted in a partner who's like that. And in part that happens because if you're showing up taking care of everything all the time. You didn't leave space for a partner who can meet you there. But if you're already married, if you're already in that, you know, I've worked with some of my friends even on this is letting go of some of these things. It's not going to be as perfect as you could do it, (laughs) you know, and letting them show up, making it known that it's important that they show up a bit more So there can be more of a balance and you having, there's going to be this really uncomfortable period of stepping back and letting them handle things that you would normally handle and knowing that it's not going to be the way that you want it. Yeah. And letting it happen anyways. Alison Armstrong talks about getting certified. So letting a man in this example, letting a man get certified in doing the dishes, get certified in taking care of the kids. Like, if you don't ever let him do it, he's never going to get good at it. Mm, Yeah. So we need to let him step up and do things right. And let go of some of those things or whatever, whatever it is, whatever the delegations are, because if the woman's doing it all, she will become resentful and burnt out, et cetera. And she's not meant to be in that space all the time. So yeah, it's a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the big piece is women want to control Mm -hmm. and just like have this idea that if I don't do it, it's not going to be right. And it's just like letting it not be right sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like letting it just, I, I really shifted on this like over a decade ago about cleaning also. Yeah. (laughs) When I was listening to some audible and they were like, you know, when you look back on your life, let's say you're on your deathbed. Are you going to be so happy with all the days where your house was spotless? Or would you rather look back and say, I lived my life. I got out there and I lived and I did things. And that actually really resonated with me about, yes, it's important to be clean. It's important to have things orderly around the house. Totally. Right. And If you're doing that and focusing on that at the expense of other things, happiness, joy, getting out, you know, it's about letting go of some of the need for things to look a certain way and just be. 
And I think that can be really hard when you're running a household and it feels like it's filthy, (laughs) for example, but it's those slow, subtle ways of letting go. So you can be more free to live in your own life. Yeah. Yeah. I heard, I think it was Monica Yates. I don't know if you know her, but she coaches on like feminine energy. Say like with stuff like that, like if you have the budget to like get a cleaner or get someone who can pick up your groceries for you, like do these little things so you can let go more and just like be more in your feminine. Oh yeah, totally. House cleaner is wonderful, right? If you can do that, if you can invest in that, it's like, and it also gives someone else employment. It gives someone else an opportunity to feed their family. So I think it's wonderful to delegate things. We, we have decision fatigue. Yeah, <laughs> we, we only do. have, yeah, we can only make so many decisions in a day. And there are certain things, if you really don't like to do them and your partner really doesn't like to do them, can you delegate them out? Free yeah. up space to do more things through connection, you know? And if you can't, can you create a collaborative system with your partner where you both feel like you're a team about this particular issue. Yeah. Not just one person's doing all the things that they don't want to do. Essentially. Totally. Totally. So what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's single looking for a partner and then Mm -hmm. someone who's currently in a relationship? Mm. (sighs) Okay. For all my singles out there. I would say the biggest thing is trusting the path that you're on, trusting that for every experience, like learning from every experience you're having, if you're dating someone and it seems to be going well, and then it's a disaster and it ends, trust that trust that all these things are happening because it's showing you where you're at. It's showing you where, where you get to grow. It's showing you, Hey, Like it's data. It's like, Hey, this person isn't right for you because look at the choices they're making. You don't want that. So it's showing you more about your values. And I think for singles, it's so important to trust and also be aware of your mindset around dating. So many people have a poverty or a poor mindset around dating. Yeah. Right. Because you get frustrated and you, it's, it's challenging. <laughs> I'm guilty. I'm guilty of this. I've so many times been like, I've swiped through all of San Diego. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And it's, so your feelings around that are absolutely valid. And it's one of those things where if you stay in that, if you mm-hmm. stay in that San Diego is full of Peter Pans, you know, I've heard that one a lot. Yeah. Right? And it's like, <laughs> Yeah, I get it. Like I've dated in San Diego and, and I also though had a higher level of trust that, okay, your guy may or may not be in San Diego. Yeah. Or he's getting on the plane right now to move here. Like you never know. (laughs) Right. Or he's moving here. Or I met my forever partner in Costa Rica. I'm about to move there. So (laughs) are you really? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I love talking about that. Yeah. For like four to six months or I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. But that's where, and, and he was actually from Oregon. I'm from Oregon and I had no idea. I was going to a business mastermind. I wasn't looking for my partner. Right. But I was in the bigger scheme of life, I had been doing a lot of inner work to prepare me to meet my partner. So I would say when you're single, use this time as the time to fully embrace and get to know you and trust that when you're in the full process of, you know, tapping into your relationship with you, loving on those parts of you that feel rejected or hurt, uh, tapping into your purpose your partner's going to come down that path, right? That's just, and if you know that and you can believe in that, if you don't believe in that, if you have poverty mindset around dating, you got to work on that. Like that's where you have to like, just start writing down all the thoughts you have about dating and look at it and ask yourself, if I believe this and I, if I resonate on this, am I going to be able to be even open to the possibility that I'm going to meet the person that's right for me. It's like, probably not. Yeah. So that just says there's some healing to do around that and some work to do, whether with someone or on your own. 
um, but trusting that this journey is leading you where it's meant to go. Mm -hmm. And for the partners, um, what's, so what is the question? What's my advice for people in partnership? Yeah, people in a relationship, partnership. So Rob Bell, he's an author, spiritual mentor. Mm -hmm. He goes on tour with um, Elizabeth Gilbert a lot, Eat, Pray, Love. He talks about relationships are a second set of eyes on the world. And I want to remind you that you chose that partner for a reason, right? And they have a unique way of seeing the world and experiencing the world that is outside of how you do. And so I think our partner is like there when you're like partners in purpose, which is a big part of what I attracted into my life, someone I can grow with someone who we can do things together. Right. When you have that, you want their feedback. You want to know what your partner sees in you because none of us are perfect. So taking their feedback as like, wow, this is an opportunity for me to grow. And when you're loving and you give that to each other, it's a gift. Yeah. It's a gift. I think so many of us are so busy defending against feedback. We're missing the point. And a lot of it's because people wait, wait, wait till they're so frustrated and then they give feedback. But it's like when you cultivate a safe relationship with your partner where communication is welcome and vulnerability is welcome and intimacy is good, then it's safe to tell your partner when they're showing up in a way that's not serving them or you. So I would say really remember that. And if you don't have that with your partner, I want you to check in and say, well, is that okay with you? Yeah. Because I will tell you, tell you as a couples therapist, so many people wait until the wheels have fallen off and the gas or the, 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 the whole engine has blown up. Like people wait until things are falling apart to get help. Right. And you don't have to do that. <laughs> you can be proactive in creating an epic love if you just recognize like, oh, we could be a little better with our vulnerability and our communication and how we deal with conflict seek out support. Right. Right. Seek it out. Cause it's I know. yours to create a beautiful relationship. Yeah. I feel like that's with every little area of life is people wait till they hit rock bottom or whatever yes. to get support. And what do you, what's your take on why people do that? I think pain, unfortunately, is a motivator. Mm -hmm. I think, although if people really knew pain is not a very good motivator, it only motivates them very temporarily until the pain goes away and then they're no longer motivated. So that's the trouble there. I think there's a large stigma around getting help that if you were, whether you're single and, and getting mental health help or whether you're in a partnership and seeking out couples therapy, there's a stigma that it means something's wrong with you. One of you is crazy. You're weak. This by far and away has damaged us as a yeah. society. It has done so much damage to us because so many people life is, is an adventure and it's challenging. So to think that you would have it all figured out, <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm like, like, to me, it's like, I've been in this field for over a decade and I see how clearly everyone can benefit from working on themselves I and so agree. their relationships <laughs> that to me, it's mind boggling that people still think that it would mean something negative about them if they sought help, because I'm like, wow, like, how could you even imagine that you would have it all figured out by yourself? Like there's so much in life you could focus on your mental and emotional health and your relationships are foundational. It's like, if you don't have those, if you don't have support in those areas, like it's going to be really challenging for you because nobody has it all figured out. So I think stigma plays yeah. a role. And I think with COVID, obviously there's a mental health movement happening, right? which is amazing. You're seeing right. it all over people advocating to get help, get help. Cause it's like, yeah, <laughs> of course life is challenging. I'm yeah. sure I agree at this point. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And when you're alone uh, during COVID and like sitting yeah. with yourself, 
you have the time to realize like, what am I actually thinking? I'm not distracted. Right. Yeah. You, I think a lot of people have probably had time to themselves in a way that they've never had, or they've experienced boredom or they've experienced such intense levels of distraction. You know, everyone is going through their own confrontation of some kind. Yeah. And I think, I know we deem that as really bad in our society. I actually think it's good. I don't think it's great when people die. I don't think it's good when people lose their jobs or get really sick, but I do think it's good to be confronted with ourselves. Totally. And to have to sit with ourselves and say, whoa, whoa like, how am I showing up? How could I do it differently? Cause it's just reality for all of us. We all get to grow in some way or another. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been such an incredible conversation and I'm sure people are gonna have so much information thrown at them. They're going to have to re-listen to this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. We've, we've addressed a lot today. Yeah. Yeah. And I love talking about all this stuff. So it's always fun for me too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. It's fascinating. Psychology, spirituality, relationships. I love all of it. Yeah. So where can everyone connect with you further and find you? tell the audience. Yeah, perfect. So the easiest way right now, I'm in the middle of building my website. So the easiest way right now is just to go to Dr. Amber Rochelle on Instagram. It'll be in the show notes too. Yeah. And then there's a little website. If you feel called, I do a clarity call with people. And this is really a call. If you're thinking about either for you or you and your partner, that you need support, that you want to go deeper. You want to do deeper healing work. You want to change some of these unconscious patterns and show up differently in your relationships. So this is a call where we see if, you know, where are you, where are you headed? Like, where are you wanting to go? Where are you noticing you're getting stuck? Where are you struggling? What barriers are coming up for you? And to see if I would be a good fit for you to move forward. And, and then we create what I call like a treatment plan for you moving forward of, what we're going to do specifically to help you to get through these blocks in this unconscious programming so that you can have the relationships and the relationship with yourself that you desire. So feel free to check that out. And otherwise I'm so thankful to you, Michelle. I appreciate, I appreciate this interview. Yes, it was awesome. And I'm sure the audience is going to love to connect with you further. So thank you for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me.